Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. In case you don't know me, I do see some faces or halves, top halves of faces that I don't recognize. Um, welcome to you all, whether you know me or not. And to those of you watching online the live stream, welcome to you. Um, now that uh, time has, has wound down quite a bit, I'm going to try and make some on-the-fly edits. Uh, so if this feels a little disjointed, that forgive my efforts, but I am conscious of, of what time it is <laughs> and that some of you have kids downstairs, like I have a child downstairs too, so, um, so I'll do that. But anyways, welcome guys. I hope that you're excited and you have an appetite to hear from the Lord this morning. You know, that's, that's why we get together. That's why we open the scriptures. We, we open the scriptures because, you know, we're, we're just not, we're not just a people of, uh, a, a group of people who want to get together and, um, and find some key life hacks that can improve our life. We're not just, we're not just a, a bunch of people who have a, a common, like, I guess you'd say political outlook where we want to, we want to make the world a certain way. And so we're going to get ourselves like boosted up so that we can go out and, and fix all the problems of the world. Though it would be great if that actually worked. Um, we, we actually meet here every week because we believe, I believe, that there is a God. There is a God who has made this world, and that God has spoken, and he has something to say to us. He has something to say to every single human being who has ever existed. And his word goes out, and it cuts across every single culture, every perspective, every generation. It's the same word. And he has something to say to you and I today. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to me, I know them, and they follow me. So he has something to say. I hope you guys are ready to listen. We're in the book of Mark, um, chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um... Before we get into the, the context, though, I want to, I guess, pray, and then, and then we can get going. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that this is nourishment to our souls, that you have not left us alone to figure everything out, that you have given us a word, and that's a word of hope, and that's what we need to hear every single week. We need to hear a word of hope. We need something to believe in. So Lord, I ask you, in the old Anglican prayer, as, the, as they say it, that the light of your presence would set our hearts on fire with love for you now and forever. And that that fire would spread throughout our life and the lives of those around us. We'd be filled with joy. Do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you noticed, I don't know if you've been around for a few years, have you noticed how quickly our, um, our interest and our love for new things fades? Right? I, when, I was, uh, when I was going to seminary, uh, I went to the Apple store and I picked myself up a new laptop. It took me about two months before I was like, this thing is clunky, it's heavy, battery doesn't last long enough, I need to get something else. 
And it's not just with, you know, computers. You know, you get the latest iPhone, and then, like, another one comes out, and you're like, this thing's a hunk of junk. You know, or you even have it for a couple weeks, and, you, and you're like, this is so awesome. And a few weeks later, you're like, yeah, that's just it's normal, you know. Or you get a new car. I remember the first time I got a car with AC in it. I'm like, it has AC. This is amazing. I don't have to just roll the windows down. And then, like, a month later, I'm like, but it's not cold enough, you know. I have to have it on full blast. We do that, you know, we, we, we kind of get this way. I actually have a, have a term for this. You probably haven't heard it because I haven't told anyone except for my wife about it. I call it the law of the fifth Oreo. You know, I, I love Oreos. Like, if I want to hurt my body and make myself fat, uh, an or, uh, Oreos and milk are a good way for me to do that. So I, I, and I'm not talking about, like, the Whole Foods version. I mean, the, the, the Nabisco or whatever it is. You know, the corporate version. Yeah, I like that one, okay? No shame. So when you have that first Oreo in the milk, you're just like, oh, that is so good. Mm. And you have the second one, you're like, oh, it's amazing. Oh, so good. Give me another one. Your third one, you're like, yeah, that's good. The fourth one, like, yeah. And the fifth one, you're like, this doesn't taste any different than the last four. Like, am I actually enjoying this? I don't know if I'm enjoying this anymore. Maybe I need to take a break. You know, it's the fifth, the, once you get to that fifth one, you're like, you're not really appreciating it anymore. You're just, you're just eating, you're just stuffing your face, you know. Now I'm just being fat, I'm not doing it for the pleasure anymore. This happens to all of us, you know, and, and the worst of it, though, the worst of it is that it happens in our relationships, doesn't it? You know, you meet somebody new and it's all exciting. You wonder, do they, do they think about me the way I think about them? Do they feel about me the way I feel about them? And you go and you do stuff and you actually make all these alterations to your life. And you're not even thinking about it. They didn't say, hey, uh, I have a request of you. Would you stop hanging out with your friends and come and hang out with me? Oh, yes, I want to honor your... No, that's not how it works. You're just like, I want to be here with this person. And time goes on. And the excitement of who they are, the mystery of who they are, starts to fade on us. That is, they, they, they no longer impress us, you know. When you think of the term impressed, you know, it's like a, a, a dog that has three tricks. You're really impressed, but then you're like, that's not very impressive anymore. G- give me some more tricks. You know, we kind of do that with people in our relationships. They no longer impress us. That is, like, make a stamp and have an impact on our life. We almost, like, wall ourselves up and callous ourselves towards the amazing thing of who they are, like the amazingness of who, who they actually are. And the sad thing is, very often we come to them with this, this need for uh, belonging, this need to be loved, to be accepted, to be affirmed. And over time, we start to care less and less whether or not they are giving us that sort of thing. We kind of wall ourselves up. We, our hearts become calloused. And then we start looking to something else something else to give us that sense of belonging, sense of love. The need doesn't go away. We just say, who, who you are isn't doing that for me anymore. I'm going somewhere else. It happens to all of us. And not just us here. It happened in the scriptures too. So that's what I want to, uh, that's what, how I want to tee us up. Have this, this in mind, the fifth Oreo. <laughs> this happens even to Jesus' disciples. So we're in Mark chapter 6, and just, just a little bit of context here. A few weeks ago, Sean, uh, whose last name will remain anonymous, uh, Sean 
I thought, gave a great teaching about what Jesus had done. You know, he'd gone, Jesus was doing his ministry in Galilee. He's healing the sick. He's, um, he's doing all these crazy things. He's teaching people, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And there's people who are responding. They're going, whoa, this is crazy. Who can this man be? What's going on? And there's other people who are opposing him. And then what Sean brought up was there's a time when Jesus took his disciples, the 12 that he brought into his inner circle, and he said, okay, now I'm sending you out two at a time, and you're going to do what I've been doing. You guys together are going to do it. And don't take with you anything you're going to need. Don't take food. Don't take money. Don't take a, a club, you know, to protect yourself. Uh, just go out and do it. Just go out and do it. So they go out and they do it. And then they come back, and they're all excited. But in between there, Mark inserts this story about John the Baptist, which is a way of sort of foreshadowing, like, look, everything looks like it's, it's going really well. The kingdom is here, and we're going to end the Roman occupation. It's going to be God ruling from Jerusalem. And Mark is kind of saying, not so fast. It's not always how it ends. But anyway, so uh, pull out that insert to the, to the actual narrative, and the disciples go out, and then they come back. And last week, Cameron taught about how when they come back, Jesus says, okay, you guys are back. Let's go on a staff retreat. You know, let's go out into the wilderness. And they go out into the wilderness. And guess what? Everybody's there waiting for them. No staff retreat. So uh, all the people are out there. Jesus sees that they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, when are we going to, we're not going to get our retreat with all these people around. Why don't you send them out? to go get their food, and then we can have our time. And Jesus says, well, why don't you just, you just give them something to eat? We're like, we're going to call the food trucks out here, uh, you know, to, to come and feed them? And Jesus says, what do you have? And they have one, you know, one person's lunch, and he multiplies that to feed everyone. In fact, it says 5,000 men. And in the Greek, it's, it's not the word anthropi, which, which is the g- generic, like, humankind. Like, it, it's, it actually means like heads of households. So that means there's somewhere around 15 or 20,000 people probably there. I mean, think of it. If Cameron was down at the, at the Rose Garden, or the, the Moda Center, and it was full of people, and, and Cameron had just like, had just shelled out, took one person's lunch and fed everybody and the whole thing, that would be pretty amazing, right? So he, he feeds the 5,000, and then we get to this story right here. It's Mark chapter 6, starting in verse... 45. It says this. Immediately he, that is Jesus, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So Bethsaida is on the northern shore of Galilee. So Jesus is intending to get alone here. He says, you guys go in the boat and you go here. I'm going to send everyone else away. Okay, deal, Jesus. We got it. Verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So this is what Jesus is doing. I would have a lot to say about this, but this is part of what I'm going to cut out, okay? (laughs) So if you want to know more about what I was going to say, you can talk to me afterwards. Uh, Verse 47, when evening came, the boat, that's the boat with the disciples, was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, For the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. So Jesus sends everyone away. He goes to pray. And it says that the evening time, so that's what, you know, six, seven o'clock, something like that, evening time. Jesus is able, he's at a vantage point where he can see the disciples out there, and they're struggling 
to keep the boat moving in the right direction. Uh, It says the wind was against them. And then it says, about the fourth watch of the night, he came out to them. Now, the the fourth watch of the night, we don't know what that means. It was, uh, their their day was broken up from like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And so there were these three-hour watches. So the fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So there's this gap of time between when Jesus sees the disciples need help and when he shows up. It's like nine, somewhere between nine and 12 hours that it took him to get there. And you can imagine the disciples. I, I just think of a group of 12 guys. They're together in a boat, and they're trying to get it one direction. There's got to be like so much tension going on. Like, give me the oar. You're like, you're not doing it right. You know, there, there's got to be a lot of tension going on in that boat. But the question that I, I kind of want to bring up here is, Jesus waits. He, he sees that they need help, and he doesn't just immediately run out to them. Or he doesn't, from where he is, say, like, okay, storm, be calm. He's done that before, by the way. Remember in chapter 4? He waits. Why does the Lord wait when we need him? It's a good question. Have you asked that before? I don't know if you've noticed, but the Lord doesn't always show up when we think that we need him. Now, I don't have the answer for every occasion, every time the Lord waits. I I don't know. It's a mystery. You can take it up with the Lord. Someday he'll probably tell you. But I do know this. The Lord's intention with us, his, his desire with us, is that we should have a deep, intimate, abiding relationship with him. And the price of intimacy very often is vulnerability. The trouble with us is we very often, myself included, we refuse to be vulnerable until it gets so bad that we have no other choice. It could be. Sometimes the Lord leaves us until we're at the point where we say, okay, now my life is cracked open. Now you can come in. We've walled ourselves off from him. That's what he desires, desires to have intimacy with us. And it's not the way we do. We, we, have intima- we want intimacy because we have a need. We're just like, I can't feel whole. The Lord is perfectly fine without us. It's all desire on his part. He's like, I love, I want to give myself to you. That's why I want that intimacy. So I can give myself to you, the deepest you. Just a sidelight. So we're going to move on in the story. This is the latter part of verse 48. So he, Jesus, Jesus meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Okay, we're going to pause again right there. Okay, just get the, get the picture again. So Jesus is not, he doesn't even walk out to them. He's walking to some other point, and they see him, uh, you know, grabbing the oar or whatever. It's like, oh my, there's somebody walking on the water. This, this word that's used, it says they, they, um, they thought they saw a ghost. In, in Greek, the, the word is where we get the word phantasm. It really kind of denotes a sort of superstition. You can imagine, you know, the, the Sea of Galilee, it's really a big lake. It isn't that big. So for it to take you nine hours to cross this thing, 
they might be thinking, you know, maybe there's something more than just a storm going on, you know. Maybe there's evil spirits out there to get us, and they might have thought this is what was happening. But either way, Jesus shows up, and uh, he says, take heart, it is I. In the Greek, it says, ego eimi, which means I am. Take heart, I am. What's happening here is Mark is recasting this story in terms of the multiple revelations that God had made to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Very often, you read about Moses, you read about Joshua, you read about people encountering God, what you'll see happen is uh, God shows up in some form. It could be the angel of the Lord, it could be burning bush, whatever it is, and they're afraid. So there's fear on the part of the person, and then there's uh, some kind of consolation. Don't be afraid, it's okay. And then particularly in that account with Moses, God reveals his name to Moses. Moses says, what is your name? What should I tell the Israelites the name of the God is who sent me? And he says, I am. So you can see how there, there's been a pattern, right? The, the multiplying of the loaves in the wilderness as an overlay of what Moses was doing in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And here we have, we have a, an actual revelation happen. And just as the law was revealed through Moses. Now something new is being revealed through Jesus. So there's this revelation happening right in front of them. Now, how do they respond? Uh, the, the latter part of verse 51. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Okay, they were astounded and they did not understand. Once again, in, in the Greek, it literally means they couldn't put it together has to do with putting things together. They couldn't put it together. They didn't put together that this is an, actually a, a revelation. The, who is this man? Last time, last time the disciples were in the boat with Jesus, there was a storm. He was asleep, right? And he, they wake him up, and he tells the storm to be still. And then what did they do? They were afraid, and they said, Who is this that can calm the wind and the sea. Now Jesus does it again. It says that the, the sea died down as soon as he got in the boat. And they don't get it. They're just, they don't understand. They're astounded. What happened? What happened? Well, the diagnosis of Mark is that their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand about the loaves, it says. The biblical diagnosis of our problem, the human problem, is actually that our hearts don't work right. Our hearts are hard. That's actually the human problem. It's, it's very different from the way we often see it. We think that the problem is our minds. So uh, we're, we're, we labor in ignorance, so what we need is education. That will fix our problem. Or we think, you know, we don't have a strong enough will. We just need to do what's right. You know, stop, stop trying to follow what feels right, just knuckle up and do what's right. It's actually, neither of those are the biblical diagnosis of our problem. The problem is that we have hearts that are misaligned. In fact, Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitful. And the word he uses there is the word for Jacob's name in the Old Testament, which means someone who, who trips up someone else from behind. Our hearts, actually, we trip ourselves up. It says the heart is desperately wicked, is what my translation says, but the, the Hebrew word, is, it means an incurable disease. Hearts cannot be cured. 
And the third thing it says about our hearts is they're unknowable. We cannot actually know our hearts. It's a serious problem. It's, you're describing the fifth Oreo. <laughs> why is it that it was so awesome in the first one, but by the fifth one it wasn't? You know, why is it with the disciples? They saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They lived with Jesus. They saw him every single day. And their hearts are still hard. Same thing with the children of Israel. They did they were not following the law. There was no Torah given. They were slaves in Egypt and they saw God show up and do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, delivering them from Egypt. And then they get in the Red Sea, they're like, Oh God, let us out here to die. Hearts are already hard. And then God makes a way through the Red Sea and they say, oh, we're going to die because we don't have water. And then God provides water. Oh, we're going to die. You know, God's literally a cloud to give them shade during the day in the desert, a pillar of fire at night to give them warmth during the night, every single day. And food just miraculously appears on the ground every single day and still their hearts are hard. What is going on? It's the law of the fifth Oreo. <laughs> Miracles. There are some, maybe some here today, who would say, I don't have enough evidence to believe. I, I, I think that this is great wishful thinking, but I just don't have enough evidence. With all due respect, if that's you, there is evidence, and the problem is not that there is not evidence, or that your mind does not understand. The problem is that your heart is hard, and we refuse to actually take that evidence in and take it at face value. In fact, uh, here we have this testimony written by one of the disciples saying that their own hearts were hard. Why would you make yourself look like a fool if you were telling a lie? You wouldn't. You'd make yourself look like a fool if you were actually telling the truth. So there's a little bit of evidence. I mean, I wouldn't say that if, if you're like, I need evidence, just this one thing is enough. I'm not saying that. But there is evidence. The trouble is that our hearts are actually very hard. Now, um, I don't assume that that's most of us. For, for many of us who know Jesus and have known him for a long time, we can still find ourselves with our hearts hard, insensitive, unimpressed, unimpressed with who God is. And that's where we live oftentimes. You know, when you get, if, if you've been married, you get married and years go by and you're no longer impressed with your spouse the way that you were, but you're still committed. You know, we find ourselves in that space oftentimes. Well, what do we do about that? Keep in mind again, remember that question about like, how come the Lord lets you linger? How come he lets your heart get hard, you know? He could, he could just impose himself upon you so much that your heart wouldn't get hard, right? Well, it, it seems like almost the opposite is the case. You know, these two generations, the generation with Moses and the generation with Jesus saw more miracles than any other generation. And they had the hardest hearts of any other generation. So it may not be that you need a miracle if you find your heart hard. It may be that you need to wrestle. You just need to wrestle. We go through these seasons. We go through seasons. You see it even in a marriage, in a long-term long relationship. You go through seasons. C.S. Lewis calls this the law of undulation. Things go up and down. One of the lines from The Merchant of Venice by Shakespeare he says, how many things by seasons seasoned are 
to their right place in perfection. The Lord is interested in moving us toward the perfection that he has for us. And very often that is going to come through seasons. Seasons that include times when your heart is kind of calloused, not believing. So it's normal for that to happen. Take heart. Take heart. The Lord hasn't left you. You know, just like your spouse hasn't left you, it could be that maybe we've just forgotten how the Lord is wooing us right now. He's leaving the flowers at the doorstep. You know, very often, I'll just, true confession, very often, I don't remember that it's, I don't remember how much my life is eased by the fact that my wife went to the grocery store to get food this week or she's the one who made the meal. You know, and that, that could be the case with you too. You, you may have forgotten how early they have to get up, that they're the ones who are taking out the trash or handling the finances, how much your life is actually made better by this other person. They're, we j- have just stopped wondering. But even more than that, I would say at, at the base of it all, how do you get out of the hard heart? How do you get unstuck? Well, oftentimes you do what you, you, you do in your marriage, and that is you get back, get back to that original thing. And what I'm going to say is you get back to the cross. Before you were ever born, before you ever heard of the Lord, before you could comprehend anything when you were still in your baby diapers, before that even, the Lord is already thinking of you. In Ephesians, Paul says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before anything was made. God was already thinking about you. You know how, if you've had kids, if you've had kids, usually you know that you're going to have a child before they are born. You know, you got, you got a little bit of lead time there. And if you intended to have a child and you're married to the person you have a child with, you, spent, you have these moments where you're thinking about, oh, who's this, is this going to be a boy or a girl? Oh, who, who are they going to be? Are they going to be uh, wicked smart? Or, you know, are they going to be, um, they going to be a wrestler? Are they going to be a volleyball player? Are they going to be, what, like we, we talk about them and we love them before they're even born. We, we dream about them. It's amazing. The Lord was doing that to us. He was doing that about us before we were ever even born. Before we did anything that would ever please him. He was already doing that. And then he manifested that love toward us by becoming human, by giving up the glory of heaven, becoming human, living the life that we should have lived, perfect life, keeping the law perfectly, and then taking upon himself the punishment for the life that we have had and our failure to keep that. And he was raised on the third day for our justification. That's where it all started. Maybe you got to come back here. Maybe you just got to come back here. Or maybe your heart's so hard, you're like, that's great. Heard it all before. Still not impressed. The amazing thing is this. If that's you, if your heart is still unmoved by this, the Lord still loves you. He still looks at you and says, I desire you. I long for you. I love you. Right now, right now where you are with your hard heart. And I'm still going to be here. And I'm still going to be working the miracles. I'm still going to be making the sun come up tomorrow. 
still going to do it. That's how much I love you. Turn to him. Sorry, we're running short on time. Turn to him now. Say, Lord, I know my heart is hard. I want to have this, this renewed sense and liveliness in you. Turn to him right now. And examine and see. Do you, have, have you chosen maybe other things instead of him? It'll try and fill that need for belonging, for being loved, for being affirmed. Are there other things you've gone to? Run away from those things. Say, Jesus, I don't want those anymore. They're not going to do it for me. They're just going to be the next fifth Oreo. I won't have the first one again. Why don't I pray for us? Wesley can come up.